verses 1 through 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word, or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth, but had pleasure in in unrighteousness. You've now heard the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. I am not texting. I'm simply trying to put a timer on my phone so I know when I get to hour three of this sermon. So family, we are in the book of Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, and you are like, Lord, what did Pastor just read? Don't worry, we are we're gonna break it down. We're gonna break it down. Uh, this book is the second book. Uh, the first book, um, we we see Paul and Timothy sharing the beauty of who God is with the people of Thessalonica. Uh, they become believers. Uh, they become uh, excited to live for the Lord, and Paul teaches them some some core aspects of what it means to be a believer. Teaches them about moral purity teaches them about uh, having Christian discipline, teaches them about uh, um, having an understanding of death and what it means to to live with the Lord and thinking about an eternal destiny. Teach them about what it looks like to love one another and care for one another in community. And so that was the the first book. And so now the second book is Paul kind of refining some of those things. Hey, I, I touched on some points but I need to give you more clarity on some other points. And so we're in the second book of Thessalonians now, continuing on. And uh, as, a, as, a, as a dad, I've come to see some things take place in, in my children that helped me set the, set the stage a little bit for this book, or at least for this chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, as a dad, there's nothing that I could could do that would would put me in really a compromising position more than tell my children dad's going to take you somewhere when I say dad's going to take you to Chuck E. Cheese it's over my kids for the next 20 days or when are we going what time are we going which one are we going to we know of three we've been to all three which one are we going to you know like like from that point on my kids 
are like so focused, excited. All they needed to hear was, oh, Chuck E. Cheese. You know, like they are, they are, they just can't wait. You, you've had that type of excitement where someone says to you, hey, I got a surprise to, for you. I got a surprise. And, and your first, first emotion is, what is the surprise? Like, what, what, what do you have? But next, when do I get it? You know, like, okay, you got, you got something cool. Now, 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 when can I have it? See, that, that's kind of the stage. That's kind of the, the way that things are set. You've got the Thessalonians who now have heard from Paul that the day of the Lord is coming. That it will happen. So the, the what is the day of the Lord or this surprise. But now something has happened. Something has happened where when will I get it has been miscommunicated. Look, in, look, in the first, look at the first verse. Verse 1. It says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. Remember, this, this gathering is is. is the, the Christian, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a, a good party that's amazing. Uh, the, the Christian New Year's Eve party? Help me out. Give me a bigger party than that. The Christian uh, Super Bowl party? Oh, ha Super Bowl party. <laughs> you know, the, the Christmas dinner? You got to go bigger than that. I'm talking about like, like, you couldn't wait for your president to get in, president inaugural like party. I'm talking about everybody present. This, 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 the day of the Lord and being gathering with him is going to be one where, yes, you are present. Your grandmother is present. Your great, great grandmother is present. Abraham is present. Moses is present. This is going to be a gathering for all of, cre- all of Christians throughout eternity, coming to be together in the Lord. And so this day of the Lord is something that they're looking forward to. It's something they're excited about. It's something that they're like, man, this is something that I don't want to miss. But notice what happens in verse 2, because somehow it seems like the biggest party that's to take place in the existence of humanity, they somehow are now thinking they missed it. Look in verse, verse 2. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or by a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. So now somehow uh, this, this big party of the saints throughout all time. Now somehow the Thessalonica, those from Thessalonica are thinking we just missed the party. And Paul is saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't know what medium came. I don't know if it was a spoken word and somebody preached a sermon to y'all to say y'all just missed it. I don't know if somebody wrote y'all a letter to say that, man, the greatest uniting of the people of God to be one has took place already. I don't know what it was, but somehow you guys are missing it. And, and, and just to... Just to make sure we, we get this, like it's, it's, a, it's a pretty important thing. Like, have you ever uh, had a, a lot of confidence and been able to go through your day with a little bit more strength because you looked forward to what the end of your day was going to be like? 
I mean, have you ever been like, yeah, my boss tripping, but I'm about to party tonight, so you can say what you need to, but when tonight comes, it's going to be on, you know? My, my, my friends are acting up, they're acting wild, but that's okay, because this weekend is my family reunion, and we are about to party. You know, sometimes when you can look forward to what you're going to experience, it, it gets you through that moment. So this, this becomes something serious to Paul. It becomes, it becomes an issue because now it can also have the opposite effect. Have you, have you ever been the one person that felt like you missed out? You at work and every single person at work got a bonus except for you. Even a new guy got the bonus except for you. What, what would that start doing to you? Would that, would that make you kind of question why? Why am I here? Why, 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 am I, why am I coming to work every day? If everybody else, do, do you see the, the internal uh, uh, tension that's happening? You see Paul starting to worry. He's saying, wait, if, if my people who love Jesus and are willing to endure whatever because they know of an eternal destination think that it already happened, this could very well cripple their faith. This could very well rattle their foundation. This could very well shake them, as it says in verse 2, shaken in mind or alarmed. That shaking refers to, to something of like, like an earthquake where you were, it was a stable foundation, but then the earthquake came and now it's fragmented and broken. If they think that the day of the Lord has already come, they probably are going to begin to start doubting, doubting their faith. But Paul knew this, and so he makes it a serious matter. So then he tries to give them some warnings. Look at verse 3. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So Paul is like, look, I know that you guys got rattled somehow. This letter or somebody spoke some craziness to y'all. You think you didn't miss out on being unified with all the saints throughout time and being in the bosom of Christ. You haven't missed it because of a couple things. One, the rebellion hasn't happened yet. And two, this man of lawlessness has not been revealed. So now we're going to talk about that. And this is healthy for us, y'all. And the reason why it's healthy, we, we have scriptures that talk about what it means to be the body of Christ. Be compassionate. We have scriptures that talk about what it means to be graceful. There's times in our life, though, where we got to have a good theology, a good understanding of what our hope is and what that's going to look like and some of the spiritual realities that will happen on earth. That, that book of Revelations is not a book that's like, well, we read everything else and then at some point, you know, you get there when you're an 82-year-old Christian. Like, that, that book is helping us get a vision of what the end times will be like and what we can have hope in when Jesus returns. And so now this is a glimpse into what that is, and it's a calming aspect. Hey, chill out. A couple things haven't happened yet. First, the rebellion. Now, when I think of rebellion, I think of fighting. I think of war. 
And maybe you're like many people, you, you, you think of a rebellion in the same way. But when I looked at this, it actually, rebellion is more, uh, the, the term is apostia, which, which in the Greek means uh, uh, a changing of one's decision. It's what we get apostate from or, or, or your ability to, to go from being founded and rooted in your beliefs to then shunning them and choosing something else. All right. So now rebellion means that actually there's going to be a time when a mass amount of people say to God, we reject you and actually we hate you. And actually you are not God. You are not worthy of any praise. And, and that is the, the image of this rebellion. And so while these people are experiencing, while the Thessalonians are experiencing some, some drama, that hasn't happened yet. And throughout history, different people have tried to, tried to guess when the rebellion would happen. Family, I don't know when the rebellion is going to happen. What I'll say is it, happened, it, it, it hasn't happened yet. Because these two warnings are things that are going to be clear that we're going to know. So the first is a rebellion. The, 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 it would kind of be like, just to make sure my, my youth get it, because sometimes my youth are in here and then they hear my voice and it starts going, and they don't know what I'm talking about. So my youth, um, Owen, what's your last name? What would you say? Patty. A rebellion would be like if Owen today just said, I'm no longer a Patty. And just got up and walked out. This is a part of who you are. It's, as believers, the part of who we are, our DNA is to love, rejoice in Christ. And actually, the, as being created as the image of God, all people were created to worship the Lord. And for some reason, this rebellion is one where, where, where people are going to say, I don't care what image you've created me in because I don't believe I'm created in your image. I reject you. It's going to be a sad day. But also he describes this man of lawlessness, y'all. And it's, it's described in a, in a few different ways of, of the son of destruction. He opposes every God. Anything that's worshipped, he's jealous of it. And he wants worship all to himself. He alone wants to be worshipped. He's going to sit in the temple of God. A place that's reserved only for the Holy One. He's going to proclaim himself to be God. Satan always tries to imitate our holy God. I used to, used to hear uh, this phrase, if you want to you beat the best, if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. When I, when I was growing up, brothers used to have a little, a little bite in their tongue. You could see this little like gap, little like teeth marks. It's because when we were young, everybody wanted to be Michael Jordan. So when you start playing ball, you'd be like, ah. But every time you did that, somebody would hit you in the mouth like, ah. And you would bite your tongue because you're trying to imitate Jordan so much. Satan is the same way. Satan wants to imitate God. In all things, you're looking, if you look at Revelations 12 and 13, you're going to see this, this we, it's called in theological words, the unholy trinity, where you have Satan, you have the prophet, and you have the antichrist, trying to be a pseudo representation of the holy trinity, 
trying, trying, trying to replace who God is. Family, Satan has no power over us, no strength. He's only trying to mimic the best of the best. He's trying to mimic God and his whole aim, even though he has no strength over you, is to deceive you. It's to make you think he's stronger than he is, to make us think he's worthy of our worship, to make us think that we should give him our time, our energy, our talents. He's an author of lies. But he wants our worship. So this man, this man of lawlessness throughout history has been has been named a number of different people. Let me let me give you the name that uh, some some list of names that Christians have declared the Antichrist. Are ready for this one? All right. So we had we had Nero, the Roman emperor, Nero Caesar. He was deemed the Antichrist. You had Hitler. I think there were some good reasons people threw that out there, you know, but I'm uh, people said that Ronald Wilson Reagan was Antichrist because in his name, you get six letters for Ronald Wilson and Reagan. Six, six, six. You see the craziness? I know. They said Mikhail Gorbachev. Because he, he was the one who brought forth a sense of peace right before a nuclear Armageddon was going to break out. He brought forth a sense of peace. And remember the mark on his head, mark of the beast. See, you, you see how crazy things get when we start trying to guess who this man is? Of course, they've said that Barack Obama was the Antichrist. And actually, every president since FDR has been labeled the Antichrist. <laughs> Family, you got you got to hear Paul here. His goal is not for us to be running around trying to guess when does the rebellion happen and guess who is the Antichrist? Who is the one we need to be running from? No, it's going to be clear when the Antichrist shows up on the scene. You won't be wondering, is that him? The signs, the wonders, the false powers that he has. It's going to be shown in a way that's clear where believers will be able to say, nah, (laughs) we're not worshiping that. We're not worshiping him. We will not ascribe any deity to another created being on this side of heaven. No, there is only one that we worship. But notice in verses eight and nine, how God deals with him. Verses eight and nine, I jumped down a little bit because uh, it continues to describe the, 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 the man of lawlessness. I'm sorry, my. In verse eight and nine, he says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power, false signs and wonders. So what, what, what is Jesus going to use to destroy this lawless one? His what? Breath. Breath. You see, you see that imagery there? That's, that's like if, if, if Kyle and I walk outside and some brothers are starting some drama and we get into a fight and Kyle come back and say, man... 
Pastor Leon just took off his eyelash and just beat this guy. If I use my eyelash, that's showing that that brother is nothing. He can't hang with me. His breath conquers this man that's supposed to be the, the God, supposed to be getting all worship, all praise, and yet with his breath, he's gone. This isn't a battle. This isn't, this isn't a strong and mighty versus strong and mighty. This is the creator of all things saying, <laughs> you're merely a pawn. You have no power at all with my breath away. Family, let us be reminded of this because we serve a beautiful, holy God. But also let us let us enter into the journey and not just think that, man, how could how could the people of Thessalonica be so so quick to be fooled? It's, it's Satan's job to deceive us. The Antichrist's job to deceive us. And it's interesting because it says that um, that even in verse nine, that the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. He's being used by Satan. I know I jumped around with my verses a little bit, but I wanted to allow eight and nine to just help you understand uh, the lawless one a little bit more. But now we're going to shoot back to verses five through seven. And it says, do you not remember that when I was with when that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know that what is restraining him now uh, so that he may be revealed in his time uh, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Family, the, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work like this is this is just a, a, a clear image of. We choose God. We choose to follow his ways. We choose to follow his laws. But then when lawlessness happens and it begins to corrupt our world, this is basically saying that that flows from the agenda of Satan. So can we all agree that there's probably some lawlessness that's taking place in our society today? It's probably some breaking of what God intended that's going on today. That, that, that sadly people experience, whether it's at the, the, uh, the end of our hands and what we advance or whether it's at the end of others, that, that injustices take place. And, and I want to say that the root of all evil is flowing from Satan. And that this Antichrist, while he has yet to be revealed and the body of God can see him for what he is, uh, his, the, the mystery is that the broken down uh, an initial idea of a beautiful and just economy now being broken by laws and a lawlessness, that's taking place now. And it's all pointing back towards a Satan that wants to deceive you, that wants to remind you that, yeah, well, God intended some joy, but you experiencing pain. So that pain you experience is so real. So he can't be a good God. He can't be a loving God. He can't be all these things that he says he is because look at the lawlessness. Trying to get you to to second guess, to doubt, to be deceived. He's operating now. There's a mystery of how that lawlessness is being played out. But we know it's happening with all types of drama. But lastly, I want you to look 
and to see what is happening to the people who've been deceived. Look at verse 10. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who do not who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. All right. So let me try to break this down because it's, it's a little confusing, uh, but I hope by the end of our time it'll be clear. So uh, you've been, folks have been tricked. And, and, and we all have to be cautious to ask, what is attractive to our fleshly nature? What, what sign and wonder could the Antichrist or any aspect of Satan present to you that would make you get excited about worshiping him? Comfort, money, uh, um, uh, uh, feel power, um, uh, what's it called when everybody know your name and people revere fame, come on, you know, um, all, all these things could be presented to you, could be, could be given to you, but we all at all times have the choice of will we listen and trust God? So when you hear God present the beauty of who he is and he says, I've created you to experience a beautiful and loving relationship that I have started. You are to bear my image. I want you to reflect me. You thrive when you look like me. I'm excited when I get to dwell in you. But because of sin and this world being being broken by sin, now you have a choice. You can truly reject me if you want. You, you can actually choose not to worship me. You have free choice. But knowing your choice that I loved you enough to, to knowingly and see the effects that sin had on you. I loved you enough to enter into your world and die so you could be reunited to experience that joy, that peace, that love that was at the beginning And shall be experienced for eternity. I want you to experience that love. I died so you could experience that love. Now you as a person still have freedom of choice. So what happens when you say, I heard the story, Jesus. I heard that you died for me. I heard that you love me. But guess what? I reject you. I don't believe you. I don't think you're God. What happens then? See, God has made us to be people who worship. It's in your DNA. You were created to worship God. But at the point of you saying, God, I will not choose to worship you, we don't go on to be ethereal beings that just float. We now have to choose something else to worship. You now, if you don't want to worship God, okay, you will still worship something. And so what God does is says, okay, if you see the beginning of this verse, beginning of 10, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they first refused to love the truth and be saved. So once they refused that, now God says, great. Well, not great, excuse me. God, God with a broken heart says, okay. 
Well, now I will give you to a number of delusions that you think it's worth you building your foundation on. Because you're going to worship something. You're going to build your foundation on something new. So now I'm going to give you a ton of delusions that you think are actually worth living your whole life for. Here's some examples. So you reject God. Now your delusion is you are in control of your own destiny. So the rest of your life, you work hard to provide for your family and you build your life around earning based on your work ethic. You are delusional to believe that everything you have came from you. Here's another. So you reject God. Now your delusion is love dominates all things. And so as long as you feel loved by the person and you get love and give love, you feel great. But the moment that that person hurts you, you move on to the next, continuing to try to feed this emptiness. And you are delusional because you believe that the peace that you desire is found in loving relationships with people. Say you reject God and now your illusion, your delusion is that your race or your ethnicity is the foundation by which you view the world and find your worth and purpose. So as long as you feel that you get to represent your people, you are at peace. But the moment someone speaks to another aspect of who you are that is outside your race, your world is rocked. And you are delusional to believe that peace is found in your race and race alone. Family, pick the delusion. Green living, helping the poor, your intelligence, your gender. God says, if it's not me and you're not worshiping me, everything else is a delusion. So now if that's the world that you want to live in, here it is. Pick your delusion. But it all leads to the same place. Condemnation. They all lead to hell. It all leads to an eternal place where God is no longer present with you. Because you chose to build your foundation on delusions. See, God isn't trying to make you delusional. Once you've rejected him, You build your new worldview. You build your foundation. You build who you are on a delusion. And family, we are here talking about it because there's an eternal impact to this. The question is, man, like, do our hearts break, you know? Do our hearts break? Do we look at it and say, dang, man, my my cousin, man, I love him like none other. We grew up together, been there for me. But I see his whole world is built on a delusion. My, my, my parent that has sacrificed so much for me, poured into me, done so many things for me, rejects God. Do I see that their world is built on a delusion? If so, it should, it should, it should motivate us to have compassion towards them, to love them, to share the gospel with them. But I, I also saw another aspect in here that I think, I think Satan's been very successful in. And it's really for Americans. 
And it's how often do you dream about the giant gathering of all of eternity where we would be with the Lord? Like, like, I'm, I, I'm trying to tell y'all earlier, I used to get excited about parties. You know, like every aspect of the party I look forward to. On Monday, I, I went and picked out my outfit. On Tuesday, I used extra spray starts to get it ready. On Wednesday, I called my homies to make sure we were going to meet up at the same time. On Thursday, I had to get a fresh cut because Friday night it was going down. Do you see the line of preparation? Do you see that? Do, do we get excited about it when we think about the day the Lord will return? That we get a chance to be with all of believers throughout eternity and worship the one who is holy and worthy of our praise. Do you dream about that? I'll be honest, I don't as much, you know. But I want to I want to encourage us to that. I want to encourage us to that end. That this was not a, a text just so we understood what they were going through. This is a, is a text to minister to us. That we'd have eternal perspective, eternal hope, but also have our eyes open to see when people are delusional. My brother. Yeah, kind of going back to what you're saying about a text for that at that time. I'm hmm. not sure wrap my head around no ASAP. Good question. So my brother said, hey, uh, Trying to think about this in context, did Paul write this and give them these clear details because he thought that it was going to be an imminent take place quickly? Uh, I would say, based on my reading of the scriptures, that Paul was not sure when it was going to happen, but he knew that these things needed to happen before the the day of the Lord took place. So, in, in, in other words... It might happen while they were alive. It might not. If you look in, um, you look in uh, like 1 Corinthians 15 and we go like towards verses starting like verse 50, he talks about the beauty of when the day of the Lord happens, that there's going to be people who are alive that get re- a renewed body and get connected with Christ because these mortal bodies can't enter into heaven, so we are going to have a renewed body. People that are alive are going to have a renewed body, but people that are dead are going to be renewed too. And so the timing of it, uh, I don't think he was trying to pinpoint. That wasn't his aim. His aim was to say, chill out, endure. You didn't miss it. Keep fighting the fight of faith. If you think you've missed it, you might quit and give up. Don't give up. You haven't missed it. And, and, and if you see these signs, then get excited because he's about to come back. Man. Get excited because you're about to have a party of a lifetime. If you see this, it's going down. So is that answer, answer a bit? Yeah. Amen. <laughs> I was trying to read your face and I was like, but we can connect a little bit more afterwards. Amen. So family, uh, I, I want us to to, to, it's tough to put ourselves in their position. But, but something took place in our nation uh, that can give you a little bit of empathy, can help connect you a little bit. Uh, in early January, about, I think they said it was about 8.30, 8.15, somewhere around there, uh, in, in, in Hawaii, there was a mass alert that was sent out. This mass alert said 
Ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Now you have an entire group of people thinking that death is imminent. You had people doing all types of different things. But um, um, imagine that there are, uh, there are aspects to who you are as a human being that you can't control. For instance, if I, if I get nervous, you guys might see me like shaking my leg. Now, I don't know I'm shaking my leg. But because I'm nervous, my, my, there's something internally that's happening within me that is controlling that. The tension, the fear, the worry, the, the amount of emotions that took place in people when they saw this text. Uh, if you go online and you look, people were going crazy. And, and, it, was, and it was not simply uh, non-believers. Believers, too, which I get. I'm not saying that I would have worried and questioned my eternal destiny, but everything before me would have kind of flashed. Man, I was dreaming about what walking my daughter down the aisle someday. And I and I and I thought that we'd be able to man meet our grandkids. And I mean, you just your life flashes before you and you are questioning everything. You're not necessarily questioning do I love God? Will I be with him? But, 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 but at the same time, man, like things that you never considered kind of come before you when you think, man, maybe life's going to end. Family, Paul is responding as if he's the person who accidentally, who, who knows that this alert went out, sees his people going crazy and is saying, how do we get to them the true message that this is a false alarm? How do we let them know that they don't need to be going crazy inside, that all of their emotions, the fear, the worry, all the drama, all this that is happening, it's a false alarm. Here's some signs for when the real thing is going to happen, but this is a false alarm. Don't, don't, don't let the Satan, don't let Satan through his workings deceive you. Don't let him deceive you. Family, can we pray together? Lord, we are so thankful that you allow your word to speak to us. We are praying for a heavenly, heavenly, heavenly mindset where we think beyond this world. We know that the Antichrist desires to trick us, desires to deceive us, wants us to worship him. Lord, there's a number of different theologies out there about the rapture and a number of other things. But what we know is that we will be with you, that we will be in you, that we will be celebrating the beauty of who you are with Christians throughout eternity. And Father, we are thankful for that. Would you help us to to be able to see deception, but also to have compassionate hearts towards those that are deceived and believe in delusions. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus.